Before we get started, I'm going to tell you about Talk Mobile. Talk Mobile is an innovator in retail and works with organizations like T-Mobile to operate stores throughout Arizona, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Louisiana. I don't know if they're still working right now, I would imagine, because you need cell phones, so cell phones are essential. At least they're essential in one of those states. For more information and probably to re-jumpstart your career, then please visit www.talkmobilenet.com. Again, that's talkmobilenet.com, our primary sponsor. Welcome back to the Hard Parking Podcast. This is your host, Jay Finning. If you like what you hear in today's episode, subscribe and whatever platform you're listening to. Coming up in a little bit, like a few minutes, is an interview that I did with professional race car driver Billy Johnson. But first, I want to talk about guns. On the most recent episode, one of the Q&A questions that I answered, somebody asked me, do I own any guns? Do I go shooting? And I don't. But I do want to talk about guns a little bit. I'm not a big fan of guns. I'm not anti-guns. I think they look cool, which is kind of ironic. I think everybody has a right to be able to purchase a gun for recreation, self-protection, hunting. Don't think you need an AK-47. But my son recently bought a gun. During these times, everybody's running and they're buying guns. But he went, no record, none of that. 24 years old. He went to the gun store, filled out his application, walked out of the gun store with a 9mm, He said it only took him 17 minutes. I don't think you should be able to walk into a store and buy a gun and leave within 17 minutes. I think there needs to be a waiting period, whether it's a day, three days, before you're eligible to get a gun. Because you don't know if someone goes in and they're pissed off. Like, you have to answer questions. But still, it takes longer to do a criminal background check for a job. Like, a basic job can take up to a day for a real job. Like a career job, it could take even longer. So I don't think you should be able to buy a gun in less than half an hour. You can order a Domino's pizza, go out and buy a gun, come back and beat your pizza to your house. I think there's something wrong with that. I think the system is messed up if you're able to do that. I think everyone should have the right to have a gun if you want a gun. I have friends who make guns, and those are works of art. I think if you want a big military-spec gun, you should be able to buy one with the firing pin removed, like on display, like any other collector in any other hobby. If I go out and buy a rocket launcher, hopefully it can't really fire, but it would be cool to have a legit rocket launcher on my wall. I know that's kind of an extreme, but if you want to buy a grenade, you can buy a grenade. Just go to the Army Surplus store. There's grenades all over the place. You want the baseball grenade? You want an old school stick grenade from the Germans? You want the one that looks like a little pineapple? I mean, they're all there. Obviously, they're not going to blow up. They're good paperweights. Anyway, I don't want to turn this into some sort of a some sort of a debate on real world topics like gun control. I'm not blaming guns for anything. I'm just saying it should take you longer than 15 minutes to go buy a gun. That's all I'm saying. Before I talk about Billy Johnson, before we bring him on, I want to talk about a couple of my sponsors. So if you're new to the show, this is what I call an end-to-end interview where my guest comes on near the very beginning and goes all the way to the end. So at least 80% of the show is one guest. And so when I do an end-to-end interview or one of those type of shows, I don't typically have a builder's corner. I typically don't have my own Q&A unless I bring my guest on for that. I don't have an Instagram profile highlight of the week. I don't have Jay's rental car of the week. This preview to Billy Johnson is sponsored by DressUpBolts.com. Follow them at DressUpBolts on Instagram and visit them at DressUpBolts.com. They have titanium bolts that not only vastly improve the look of your vehicle, but serve as a purpose as well. Available to dress up the engine and the engine bay. They have kits ready to go to your specific application for a lot of cars. I actually have them on my car, front and rear. Pay them a visit, browse a little. Use code HARDPARKING, one word, and save 10% today. Also want to tell you about higher quality detail out of Tempe, Arizona. Specialized in premium vehicle protection solutions and cosmetic customization is your one-stop shop. So these are things we're talking like basic detailing options through ceramic coating, advanced ceramic coatings, paint correction. They're doing protection films and more. They have a little network of companies that they use. So visit them at Ceramic Pro Arizona, one word, on Instagram or higher quality detail, higher, which is H 
Y-E-R, HigherQualityDetail.com online and get started looking your best today. I actually have the Strength Pro Gold package and I got it through Higher Quality Detail. So Billy Johnson, he's a freelancer, but he's also a factory driver and a factory tester. So he's worked on the Ford GT. He's worked on the Ford 350 GT. I'm assuming the GT500, the newer one. He's done a lot of road testing with a lot of cars. He's raced over in Le Mans, IMSA, sat on quite a few podiums. We have a lot in common, Billy and I. For instance, Billy has an Acura NSX. I have an Acura NSX. That's one thing. Both of our NSXs have a 2002-2005 conversion, but neither one of them are 2002-2005 NSXs. That's another thing. And we both live in the United States of America. Both like cars. Coming up, Billy Johnson. This extended interview is sponsored by The Last Era Brand Motorsports Clothing. Celebrate and represents The Last Era of great cars. We're talking about the 80s and 90s or whatever you think is truly The Last Era. Follow them on Instagram at Last Era Brand or go shopping at www.lasterabrand.com. Tell them the hard parking podcast sent you. Today's guest is Billy Johnson, professional race car driver. Billy, welcome to the show. Good to be here. It's great to have you. Um, I wanted to save this for a little later on, but given the breaking news on ESPN, I thought I'd at least bring it up a little bit about, you know, Bubba Wallace losing his Blue Emu, the joint muscle cream virtual sponsorship for losing his temper and, you know, quitting after crashing on sort of a video game. I don't think that that sponsor has pulled their official sponsorship with NASCAR yet. And this morning, Chip Ganassi racing, you know, fired NASCAR driver Kyle Larson for a racial slow during virtual eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series. I know you were with that racing team. I don't know if you still are. And I don't know what you're allowed to say or not say specifically because um, we're obviously in uncharted territories and times here. The world is hypocritical on these things, especially when you're sitting at home playing video games or talking with friends competitively. People just talk like they normally talk. So I don't know if that was a part of it. You know, whatever your overall thoughts, are you even allowed to comment on it? Yeah, that's a tough topic to bring up. Um, well, I think since that he was racing in a iRacing league, uh, I believe where all the, the NASCAR drivers were, or most of them were competing. So it was just a, a virtual way for them to continue to interact with their fans, to put on a show for the, the NASCAR fan base. So when you're at home on your own driving simulator, there might be a, a little bit different uh, feeling of, of comfort to maybe say things in, in jest or jokingly that you wouldn't say when uh, you're in your racing suit and there's cameras all around you, but there's a uh, video cameras on the screen and you are competing on a, a world platform, even though you could call it a video game or a simulator or for fun, you still are representing your, your brand. And, uh, I guess, uh, everybody from NASCAR did, I believe put a, a ban on, uh, an indefinite ban on Kyle from competing in, in all their events. So from them to, to chip as a race team and, and any associated sponsors, that's their, uh, their take and, and their decisions because Kyle is representing, uh, them on a, a global platform. And I would imagine if, if he had those kinds of actions on a normal race weekend, this might be the, the same ramifications. So, I think like the major takeaway is if you're competing in a live streamed event, that's especially one that's publicized on a stage with a fan base as large as NASCAR fans, you have to be acting in a, the same professional way that you do at the racetrack on your normal job. I'm going to agree with you on that hundred percent. I know there's going to be a lot of people out there who would disagree because as you just, well, you're not there, you're at home, but you're, I think it's too bad. He, he probably did feel a lot more comfortable. He may have temporarily just forgotten. And I don't know the full context of what exactly went down. I just know the result. And a lot of times we play the result. And you're right. You have all this stuff on the line. You just, you always have to remember where you're at. A couple episodes ago, I had a podcast called, Do You Really Care What They Think About You? And in that podcast, it was about social media and just being out in public. And you never know who's listening. You never know who's watching. You always have to compose yourself as if you're talking in front of a bunch of people right in front of you, anywhere from your aunt, your niece, your great grandparents, your pastor, if you're religious. So it's unfortunate. Again, we're in, you know, kind of uncharted territory. But it just goes along with social media and uh, 
just the globalization of, of everything. Like, for example, like there's ramifications for people who said stuff that might be uh, acceptable in a cultural time 20, 30, 40 years ago. But in today's context, that's not acceptable. So people get upset for things that are said decades ago. And then on a more current standpoint on, on this topic, uh, you can have a group of friends who joke around with each other and give each other a hard time in a personal, private friendship environment. There's nothing really malicious about that. But if there's a bystander who's recording that, things that are said amongst friends can easily have that same kind of ramification. And that's just the kind of world we're living in, which is, it is what it is. Like you could say that uh, it shouldn't matter and people should be able to joke and and have camaraderie and, uh, I don't know, give each other hard times as friends would, or even siblings would. But then on the, the flip side, things are just too black and white these days. Things are too, uh, yeah, you, you just have to put on a, a PC front wherever you are. Cause you never know if anything is being recorded. So I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I could argue either side of, of those fields, but at the end of the day, whatever side of it you want to argue doesn't matter because what matters is what we see here, the ramifications of things that are said, maybe not intentional or maybe not from a hurtful standpoint and maybe from an innocent joking standpoint, whatever it is, those ramifications uh, of losing a job are real. Yeah. I mean, grandma's just being grandma, you know, that's only acceptable if acceptable at all during family functions and people are still kind of like, Oh my God, it's, it's 2020. But grandma yeah, right. and probably then, doesn't yeah. have a job. <laughs> grandma right, probably exactly. doesn't have yeah. to run a giant corporation. <laughs> yep. yep. And and you're right. I mean, people just, I mean, and things are just different. People have to adjust or, you know, they pay the, the consequences of that. So we'll leave all that. Um, I just wanted to get your perspective on it and I appreciate it. And once again, everyone, once again, everyone, we're talking to Billy Johnson, a professional race car driver. So with this lockdown relatively still in place because no one really knows what's going to happen, do you see this iRacing being continued as an off-season series? I mean, it's, you know, 100% professional drivers, I would believe, right? Yeah, well, anybody can go on to iRacing, create an account, and uh, practice probably one of the, the best driving simulator, readily available driving simulators that are out there. Like I myself, I used it as a, a learning tool to uh, learn new tracks that I was racing in overseas, including Le Mans and competed there, uh, for Ford with Chip Ganassi racing in the last four years. And it is a, a very, very invaluable tool to learn tracks, get seat time, practice racecraft, and to be able to race people all over the world in really serious, uh, environments is, uh, really neat. And then you could actually race professional drivers all around the world that you see on TV on iRacing, if you are in the same league or uh, the same series. And then to answer your question, yeah, with this uh, craziness that's going on, iRacing has turned into a pretty serious way for professionals to be able to still compete and for uh, even your, your average uh, everyday person or unknown person to be able to compete uh, potentially against these uh, big name people. I, I think either way, uh, it did a lot for iRacing. It did a lot for the seriousness of of iRacing. And it'll be interesting to, to see how it continues once everybody can get back into cars and driving them in real life. I mean, if you just think about it, right, that is borderline it's just crazy to think about like three months ago right just think about how big that this iRacing thing has become because of the current times and and you I mean who knows I mean it I think it'd be cool to see this thing just continued you know as an off-season thing and I know the game's been around for a while but on this magnitude where and I would have to level up you know I couldn't just pick it up today and start racing and expect to you know run you off the road or anything on there but I think it's I think it's another cool opportunity that's kind of hatched from these interesting times that we're in. So let's still, let's go back and, and, um, step through your career a little bit. I did some, uh, some social media stalking on you. 
and on your page. So you win your first race at age 13, right? Destroying other kids in go-karts. And I would assume at that time you wanted to be a race car driver anyway, because most kids want to do cool stuff like that when they grow up. Yeah, definitely. And then 16, you win the Skip Barber scholarship, fly to Spain the next day. So by the time, you know, most teenagers are wrapping, you know, their senior year up in high school and trying to figure out what the next phase of life is, you're pretty much on your way to your career. Definitely do everything uh, I could, but it wasn't necessarily a defined career path. My family pretty much took it day by day because we didn't have the resources to be able to afford racing in like Formula BMW, for example, but winning one of those or winning that scholarship uh, and then getting a huge uh, opportunity with Tom Milner of PTG to help launch my career and, and make it possible for me to compete in the inaugural season of Formula BMW was just huge. And, And pretty much every year I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, hit a break. And, uh, that just helped my career continue. So who did you look up to aspire to be, you know, or is there anybody you place a target on the back of like, once you realize that this is really something you could do, cause you just spoke a little bit of kind of struggling, which tells me there may have been some times where you weren't quite sure what the next step was, but once you knew that this is what you could be or would be, you know, who, who are some of the names, you know, up there? I think Ayrton Senna and Michael Schumacher were probably my two uh, idols growing up. Just their uh, work ethic, uh, hearing the stories how Schumacher would be at the shop with the mechanics, bringing them pizza and really just developing a relationship with the whole team and building the team around him uh, rather than what I think is still somewhat common today where there could be some drivers that don't have that same relationship with uh, the crew. And I think when you have every team member rallying around the, the same effort, the same goal for success and, and uh, really wanting their driver to succeed, those small little things all add up into the, the end result because it really is a team effort. 100%. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that because, you know, talent, talent is talent and skill is skill, but uh, that's one thing I've learned just from watching on TV. Cause I used to watch, Schumacher all the time in the, in the late nineties and early two thousands when back when we had speed vision, but I didn't realize until recently the whole team aspect in how I thought this was just Hollywood where they tell the guy to kind of stay back so that the other driver can win the points. Yeah, no, that that's happened a long time. That's been uh, pretty controversial even with Schumacher and his teammates. Yeah. Like Rubens. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so was, was there a time during the, during your teenage years where you were ready to give up or or maybe you didn't really want to do something and your parents kept pushing you, hey, you can do this, you have talent? No, my parents never really pushed me. I've always wanted to go fast. I've always liked anything with a motor, cars, trucks, motorcycles, snowmobiles, airplanes, you name it. If, it, if it's uh, powered and motorized, I wanted to uh, play with it and I didn't really come from a racing background. Nobody in my family is in, in motorsports or drivers or anything like that. So it was just mostly my uh, driving and determination. And uh, just like anything, especially as a driver or uh, entrepreneur, you're going to have a million no's, a million missed opportunities, a, a million failures for possibly one success. And probably the best advice I ever got early in my career was pretty much just give up because there's more football players and basketball players who make livings than uh, professional race car drivers. So uh, if you like racing, like be an engineer or mechanic or something like that, but to, to be a driver is pretty much impossible. And uh, that was the best advice because if I took that advice, nothing would ever happen. Right. But <laughs> if I didn't listen to that advice, that helps prime me for all the, the failures and the no's and the rejections that, I would uh, have and continue to have to this day, but uh, that's just comes with the territory. So now that you've made it, what do you do? I mean, do you look at other things like, man, I wish I could like, you wish you could be a basketball player. I wish you could play golf professionally, PGA level. Like what are some other things you may have kind of mentally daydreamed about? I just love, like I said, things with motors. I went snowmobiling with my cousin with his brand new sleds and uh, he's actually sponsored and and really good. And and that was a blast. Uh, I'm very much a car guy and and motorcycle guy. 
I love cars. I love uh, driving them, tweaking them, creating things. And uh, to be able to work with Ford on the, the development of cars like the Ford GT, like the, the GTLM race car to the, the Shelby GT350 and GT500s, it's just been super, super cool to be able to work in that capacity, work with these amazing engineers and, and mechanics and, and dedicated people to create a car that you then see on uh, on the street or then that's reviewed by magazine editors who happen to like it. So yeah, I, I'm very much happy with racing competitively and, and doing development driving and then tinkering with my own toys at home and a uh, little bit of flying airplanes here and there. I, I just love uh, cars. What's that like? I mean, from like an intrinsic value, when the Ford GT or the 350 vehicles like that come out, making a production, they get glowing reviews, or you're just kind of like sitting back with a big smile on your face, like, yeah, I drove that car, or yeah, I was a big part of that. Like, like being part of the Ford GT development, your 17-year-old self probably couldn't have imagined that? Yeah, definitely not. Um, like, obviously, Le Mans is something that I think most drivers want to do in their career, so to be able to compete was just a, a dream come true and to be able to do it in the capacity of Ford's return after 50 years of the, the historic win in 1966 and to be on the, the team that developed the, the GT working with Ford, working with Multimatic and uh, being one of the, the main test drivers along with Scott Maxwell was just uh, super, super cool. And then to also work on the the road cars and be one of the development drivers on the Ford GT road car was uh, just amazing. Like that's a lot of fun, great people. Uh, it's just a, an amazing story behind everything. And uh, yeah, it was a blast to be a part of. And I think something that will continue to realize the magnitude of it years down the road. What's on your checklist? Like what's on your ideal dream scenario in as far as racing that you haven't been able to get within an arm's reach of yet or had the opportunity of doing? I'd say winning Le Mans would be one of them. So having been there for four years with Ford, getting the taste of that, uh, that was an amazing experience in and of itself. But to win that race would be absolutely amazing as well as uh, a top-level championship and in the U.S., just uh, the races in IMSA are, are awesome. So racing in the, the World Endurance Championship overseas was super cool. Completely different experience, completely different way that they do things and hope to be able to compete there again. Uh, but uh, the racing in the U.S. is just fantastic. So to, to be able to win another championship here would be really cool. I tell you what, man, if you do that, I'm telling everybody we're best friends. We go way back. <laughs> we go way back. I would say also maybe uh, to win a NASCAR race. I came pretty close a few times in the Xfinity series over the years and ran pretty strong there. And and that racing is just awesome as well, especially on the, the road courses. So uh, getting a, a win to validate those uh, performances would, would be awesome. Again, we're talking to Billy Johnson, professional race car driver. So can you count on your hands how many different series you've competed in? Not one hand. <laughs> <laughs> so growing up, did you ever have time to play? Uh, how are you with car racing games? Are you more of a simulator guy? Do you like extreme arcade, like Need for Speed, you know, Gran Turismo, Forza? Are you into any of that stuff? Well, I grew up with Gran Turismo. I had every single version growing up. I just lived vicariously through that. And, uh, it was neat because you kind of have to, you start from the ground up, you start with like a, a crappy car, no money, and then you can modify it and make it faster. And do you spend money on making your crappy car faster? Or do you buy a, uh, an expensive car and, and then you, you mod that. So that was just a very addictive game. And I've wasted weeks of my life, uh, months <laughs> playing that Hell yeah. uh, in each version Hell of yeah. that. So that was a, a blast. That wasn't too arcadey. There was a fairly decent, well, not by like iRacing sure. standards, but there's, it was had some realism to it. So it was engaging. And especially like the later 
versions of Gran Turismo got pretty good. And then uh, for iRacing, I use that mostly as a tool to advance my my driving career and to uh, help my my driving. So what I got out of that wasn't necessarily making me the fastest iRacing driver, but also knowing setup and development and uh, having those skills, I'll, I'm able to tweak the the car models to uh, make them behave even more like the actual cars. So even though the, the Ford GT model is, is really good and probably better than anything short of what Multimatic and Ford have that they actually developed the car with and that I've worked on and have driven for hours on end, uh, the iRacing model is the closest thing you're going to get to that. And, uh, and while good, I was able to tweak the setup to make it even more realistic, uh, to better help my driving in, in the actual races. But on the flip side, there's some nuances of, uh, I racing where making the setup a little bit more realistic, isn't necessarily faster. You do some things differently than you would otherwise. So the way I used it didn't make me the fastest, most competitive person, uh, when I race other people. And then, uh, when I join leagues and even, racing leagues with like a spec car setup. Uh, I don't do it enough to be as proficient and, and super fast. And I'd, <laughs> I'd say that I'm, uh, not all that good. in in that regard, but, uh, if there's more downtime like this, I'll definitely be on it more and, and work on, uh, being more competitive there. Cause uh, as far as being competitive in I racing, that's a little bit different skill set. And I need to work on that. <laughs> does it? Does it uh, do you find yourself be, being obsessed with the technical aspect of trying to set your car, you know, in, in iRacing and some of these other simulators to mirror reality? Or do you sometimes just like, you know, this wouldn't really work in real life, but it's it's really cool on here and I'm just going to do it. No, I wouldn't say that. And there are some pretty advanced physics models in iRacing. And it really is, like I said, one of the best simulators in terms of realism that's out there with laser proper laser scan tracks decent physics models and uh things behave and do what what they should so when i drove the actual car at spa or at silverstone or lamar or monza when i get in the real car and do the real thing it's just that adds another layer of uh realism and and helps me get up to speed uh in real life so for the most part it's it's a, a great way to get as close as you can to drive all these different cars than you could short of actually driving them. It's the pros pro tool that any Tom, Dick and Harry can go to the store and buy. Absolutely. Kind of ex- experience. So that, I think that's super cool. Switching gears here. You're also an instructor and you've been doing it for a long time. What's the biggest difference between the hobby weekend track guy, even if they get with an instructor versus people who race like a NASA track, so where they take it a little serious and then the actual racetrack, like things you get to do, you know, what do you see are the biggest differences between one, two and three? I'd say it, it's just like uh, any discipline. Like how would you compare uh, just your, your average guy at a playing basketball versus someone who does it in high school or, or college or in a league? It's all the, the same acts just at, at different levels, different levels of refinement, different experiences, natural talent, and uh, it's just another discipline. You you could have natural talent that puts you at a bigger advantage, but if you don't have the the discipline and the focus and determination to work at it, you can only go so far or can go pretty far with with that attitude. Otherwise, if you don't have that talent and work a hundred times harder, you can go pretty far, but maybe uh, that's your limitation. So it's just like anything else. There's people who take it more seriously. There's people who have more talent and, uh, they're both equally important, uh, aspects in, in the success that you have. So you brought up a good point as far as there's a, there's, there can be a huge difference in a skill level or it could be similar, but there's so many other variables at play. It's like the guy who is awesome in the basketball court, but he couldn't get a college scholarship because he can't memorize the playbook or he had other stuff going on. And then the guy in college is lucky if he gets his MBA spot, 
the skill level can be so different though as well. So I can go at the, I could be a weekend track guy and I love the track. I just can't do it because my body can't handle the G's, which I realized in the last 15 years, which kind of sucks, but so I'll be a video gamer for life. <laughs> but I can be tearing up the track and think that I can compete on an actual racetrack. But if I get out there, chances are, yeah, I won't even come close. Yeah. So it's just a huge difference between, I think the hobby guy who thinks that they can be a professional and the actual professional guy who has all those years, the technology, the support, in the actual track time. I wanted to ask you about iRacing one more time because I had a question earlier because you said, you know, you, you use it to get ready. And I've heard that for a long time that I don't know if iRacing has been around forever, but I know there's been legit simulators that drivers use. How many laps does it take when you go from the simulator to the actual racetrack for you to be like, okay, this is it. Like I would imagine at least the first lap, your brain still hasn't quite processed that it's exactly the same from reality to simulation. Well, I think a funny story was my first time to Spa driving the the Ford GT in 2016. Never been there before, and uh, first year for us and for Ford and a bunch of rule changes. So there's uh, a lot of the teams didn't know how fast everybody else was going, and they're like, "Okay, Billy, uh, you've never been here before. Like, we don't want to potentially go too fast, so uh, you just do like." 10, 15 laps to learn the track. And then um, I will put one of the, the faster guys in there later on who've been there before to go faster. Uh, we're all about the same speed, but they're like, yep, yeah, go ahead, drive the car. And then on the simulator, it's like, okay, I know the old Rouge could be flat, but if I do like a half lift, I might be able to, a half lift should be pretty conservative and, and I make the corner. So on my out lap, I do the half lift and so uh, nearly lift. Sorry. So go from full throttle to half throttle and back to full throttle again, uh, rather than lifting all the way off. So I do that and I did not expect the vertical G's. My head ended up in my lap. I was not braced to, to keep my head supported looking up. So I was like looking at the steering wheel and almost wrecked the car on the out lap and made it through all rouge fine. I was like, okay, that was that was crazy. So did the rest of the outlap and started my first flying lap. Hit all Rouge again. Now I braced myself. And when I hit that big compression going up that, I don't know, 15 story massive hill, uh, I was able to keep my eye line <laughs> looking out the window because I was prepared for it. Right. Still just did a very brief uh, lift to half throttle, then back to full throttle again, made it, didn't wreck. I'm like, wow, that was fast. So finished out the lap and then was immediately like P1. And then they're like, all right, come in. That, that's fast enough. <laughs> so my, my outlap at, at Spa it quickly knocked down, but it stayed in the, the top five for a long time uh, for the, the fastest lap, my first lap ever at Spa. So a lot of the preparation from iRacing translated and enabled me to turn that kind of lap time for my first lap ever at that track. And it was funny when the team's like, you sure you've never been here before? I'm like, no, nah, that was my first lap. So I, <laughs> I got one lap. They wow. parked me wow. and I don't think I drove till later that day, <laughs> later in the afternoon. Right. So there you go. Like straight off the simulator onto the track, but it's gotta be like the G's and stuff. I mean, it's gotta be, you know, it's like, whoa, I, I didn't realize that this down swoop, you know, was that drastic or would feel that way or because you already have that type of, you know, experience behind the wheel, then your body just is maybe programmed to do to, to anticipate stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, normally that's just kind of the, the separation from reality that you get in the real car. And even when you are on a multi-million dollar simulator, like I've worked on to help develop the Ford GT with Ford and, and Multimatic, uh, those still can't pull that same kind of well over four or five G's of, uh, of vertical loading when you hit that compression and go shooting up that massive hill. Uh, and that's something that these simulators cannot replicate. So uh, just at varying levels of separation from reality, like the million dollar simulators are as close to the real thing as you can get and are actually super accurate where you can make like a millimeter of ride height change and, and feel it on the simulator and you feel it in real life too. So that experience kind of sends me to my next question. And I don't know if that was the case or there's been a, a different one, but what's the most shaken or scared you've been behind the wheel of a race car? That's a good question. I think it was a little bit maybe after the fact than necessarily while in the car. 
uh, I ended up on my roof in uh, Watkins Glen and <laughs> in the rain. And there was just dead silence. Everything was uh, hanging upside down. I had my hand on the, the buckle, contemplating whether to unbuckle and get out. And it felt like an eternity. And it's like, it's got to be safe now to, to get out. I didn't have a radio because the antenna was buried in the ground and probably ripped off. And safety people weren't anywhere in sight and felt like forever. And right as I was thinking about unbuckling, I get hit by another car while I was upside down. Holy shit. And uh, then I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to stay here till somebody tells me it's safe to, to get out. So once I got out of the car, it was the realization where if I did unbuckle and was like halfway out of the car when my car got hit by another car, uh, that could have been pretty bad. So yeah, that was more shortly thereafter where that was uh, an eye-opening this could have been bad. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So as far as road cars, because like, what's your biggest, oh my God, I can't believe I'm driving this car moment. Uh, recently, that might've been the Ferrari F40. That thing was pretty darn cool and definitely lives up to its uh, iconic status and, and notoriety. Is there anything you've gotten behind the wheel of, whether it was a, a, I would say a customer car, but maybe a friend's car where it just wasn't what you had hoped it would be? Um, that's tough. Like I, as a development driver for Ford, I've benchmarked a ton of cars. So like the coolest cars, uh, the best, latest, greatest that Ford uses to, uh, try to make their products better than, which is something that every manufacturer does. Right. Right. Is buying competitor vehicles and find out what's good and what's bad and how to make your product better than theirs. Uh, so I've been very fortunate to, track a lot of neat stuff with brand new tires, best conditions, so on and so forth. But then even with uh, coaching and being at the track with, uh, with other people, I end up driving a lot of, uh, really neat stuff. And I'm just a car guy, like at heart, like I love cars and I can be cynical and, and I have the, the knowledge to criticize and point out what is not very good, well-engineered or just what outright sucks in every single car <laughs> or, but in general, I love cars so much that almost everything I have an appreciation for at some level. And, uh, in most cases, in most levels, I just really like cars. Most underrated car you've, you've taken on a spirited drive. I don't know. I like this car is actually like really special, more special than I ever would have imagined. And no one really knows about it. I'd say maybe the older Vipers, the like gen two 96 through 2003s or 2002s. Um, they're known to be really scary and, uh, and not handle very well. But when you look at magazine articles, uh, they tend to turn the best lap times, whether, a pro is driving it or an amateur journalist and they do drive like big Miatas. So kind of the, the stigma of they don't handle well is, is complete crap. They handle awesome and they drive like a big Miata, big S 2000 with some torque. And as long as you're not on 15 year old petrified tires, right. uh, they're, uh, they're quite tame. If, if you can, prevent yourself from wrecking an S2000, uh, you'll probably be fine in the Viper. I kind of remember the race cars being somewhat successful, at least. They dominated. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> like I'm friends with Justin Bell, and he said that was one of his uh, favorite driving cars was that uh, that Orca uh, Viper GTSR. Yeah. And yeah, they, they were definitely super cool. And uh, the Viper and the Acura NSX were probably my two favorite iconic cars growing up. And uh, uh, I'd say the NSX is known to handle well and uh, it's known to have a good chassis, but not have a lot of power. But just how good the chassis is, I'd say might be a little bit underrated because even by today's standard, it is still world class and uh, actually quite a bit, a lot like the, the Ferrari F40 that, that I drove just the, the way you can balance the car, the uh, character, the neutrality, the, the analog feedback, the NSX really is an amazing car period. 
I'd say even though it's known to handle well, the magnitude of the handling might be a little bit underrated. That's a great response. And I'm going to talk about your NSX in a few moments. Even with a car like like a McLaren 720S, can you immediately tell that the car is made for the road no matter how refined it's supposed to be? I don't know. The The line is getting blurred more and more. Right. And in some cases, road car versions are faster and have more horsepower, not necessarily faster around a racetrack because they, the modern racing tires are so good. But uh, power-wise, most streetcar versions are faster and more powerful than uh, the race cars. But as far as suspension tuning, yeah, that, that line is getting blurred more and more where you have a factory car like uh, a Ford GT or the 720S or a Ferrari Pista or a GT2 RS, GT3 RSs, and they are just way more composed, handle better, and uh, are more refined than I'd say like a lot of club racing cars that are at track events. At a price, of course. True. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean... The 350R, I went to the Ford Performance. They had a thing out here at uh, Wild Horse Pass a few years ago. We were out there for seven hours. And, you know, we went around with the instructor and, they, you know, they kind of shortened the course for normal people like me. But I was super impressed with that car. And for a split second, and we're talking a split second because of the price point, I was like, would I just get rid of my car for this? I felt that that car, as as just some average Joe, was set up pretty well. Oh. Thanks. I got to work on that car and help with uh, the development of the GT350 as well. And it is a, even with the the 500, you can drive them every single day. Like Mustangs in general, like I had a a daily driver Mustang for five years and uh, they're a very usable car and the, the ride quality of the Shelby's you can live with. They don't beat you up. Uh, you don't feel like you're driving a harsh race car every single day. They can have a nice compliant ride and they sound awesome. Like the 350 is rev to 8,250 RPM. That's higher than my E90 M3, the, the four liter V8 revved. And this is a 5.2 liter flat plane crank V8. So it's right. super, super exciting and cool. And then yeah, on the racetrack, they're just fantastic to to drive it is just a, a great all-around car which makes the the need to modify things to be track ready not really that relevant anymore let's talk about your nsx a little bit so what year is your personal nsx how long have you had it what kind of things have you done to it and are you keeping it forever i'm definitely keeping it forever uh i've had it for probably 15 years now it's a 1992 that had the the 2002 conversion done. So it doesn't have the pop-up headlights anymore. And uh, it's Grand Prix wide and has the the black roof. So it's very much looks a lot like the 2002 NSXR. Yeah. And it has KW coilovers on it. Uh, It has massive 14 inch performance friction, monoblock, multi-pad calipers, uh, which are the same ones that we ran on the, uh, FX Motorsports development Time Attack NSX, which is one of the fastest Time Attack cars in the world. And oh, uh, seven years ago, you broke a record with it. At least, at least seven years ago. Yeah, and uh, we set records all over the country with that car, and very much stock trim, stock suspension geometry, and uh, stock transmissions. And my car has a turbo motor being built for it right now. That is the evolution of what the, the race car was. So it's going to be even better than the race engine. And uh, yeah, that thing is going to be a lot of fun because the first NSX I ever drove, even though I've always liked them, was a turbocharged car that had 500 wheel horsepower. And that is still, turbo NSXs are still one of my all-time favorite, definitely in the top five best driving fun cars uh, that I've ever driven. And like I said earlier, the, the Ferrari F40 is really similar. I was just shocked on how comparable and, and similar those two cars were. And one just goes to to show how great the, the F40 is, but two, it just further um, validates or uh, justifies my love for the, the NSX and the turbo NSXs that 
a car is iconic as the F40 is so much similar in character to it. Have you ever had a chance to drive a Japanese NSX as far as, you know, the like an old Type R or Type S or Type S0 or anything like that? I drove the Unicorn Japanese NSX, which was the Spoon NSXR GT. Ah. Uh, the fabled story goes that only five of them were built with the really long nose, the long tail, the F1 style snorkel air intake on the, the roof. And uh, yeah, I got to drive one of those when we competed against that car with our time attack car, which absolutely crushed it. It wasn't a great uh, <laughs> comparison, but right. to, it was very well done, great handling, um, very much a, a Japanese suspension philosophy to it. But yeah, uh, definitely cool to have been able to drive that car. What are your thoughts on the NC1 NSX? I've driven them a lot. I've uh, tracked them a bunch, a lot of miles on them. Uh, to sum it up, I'd say from a race car driver's, like the, the car is pretty polarizing. There's a lot sure. of people that say it's nothing like the old NSX. And there's guys that say, oh, you don't understand the new one. And it's meant to push the boundaries and like the, the original NSX did. And, and both sides are technically valid. But for me and from my background with uh, development and testing and, and car setup, I'd say it's subjectively extremely impressive and objectively a little bit right. shortcoming in the sense of the way that they like to do torque vectoring, to do hybridization, uh, to make that seamless work in the background where you don't feel it like, oh, now it. it's yeah, torque vectoring doing this. At low speeds at least. Uh, you do, but yeah, you do at low speeds, but like at the limit, and I'd say this is mostly at the limit. So at the limit on the, the racetrack, the way that they integrated those different systems was probably one of the best I've ever felt. Like when Ferrari uses their E-diff or uh, McLaren uses their open diff with the uh, the brake activation to act like a differential, you could feel those to a much greater degree than the NSX's more seamless setup of their uh, torque vectoring. And, and if you trail brake the car, add more steering, or if you give it the right inputs, the new NSX responds with the correct, with the, the correct actions. So I know some of the, the guys on the development team of, of the NSX, and I'm, pretty impressed with how well they did all those different systems integrations to make the car behave properly. If you trail brake it properly, it responds properly. If you give it the inputs to understeer, it's going to understeer. If you get the inputs to oversteer and rotate, it will do that. They did a really good job with, with all of that. Uh, so subjectively, yes, if you drive it on the street, lower at the limit, you can feel some of those things in a different way. And that may or may not be desirable, but when you're turning fast laps, uh, I was pretty impressed with, uh, the way they set the car up, but for as much horsepower as the, the car has and the tire size and weight objectively, it's a little bit shortcoming in the sense that a GT 350 R, which has less power, uh, similar tires, doesn't have a dual clutch transmission has a normal six speed doesn't have e diffs or torque vectoring has a normal torsion differential uh the gt350 r is faster right. on track so the marketing of hybridization makes the car better and, and faster isn't true when a pretty fundamental front engine rear drive manual transmission 350R Mustang is is faster. But then you can look at the Porsche 918 and the GT2 RS is faster. The Porsche P1 and the 720S is faster. So you the realm of the super hyper car hybrids being faster technology has proven to not be the case already. Interesting. I don't know. It just yeah, depends on yeah. how you look at it. You could be cynical about the car or you can praise it. Like, and I find myself struggling with most cars in that, that realm because like, I do appreciate a lot about the, the NSX's, the new one, the at limit handling and what they did with that. Uh, that should be a benchmark for a lot of hybrid uh, manufacturers to come. They did a great job on that. And then, yeah, it's a daily car you can drive, 
to work into the grocery store. You can drive it dead silent mode in electric mode uh, at lower speeds. Like there's a lot to praise it for what it is. So yeah, I I don't really have a overall inclusive love or hate towards the car. There's strengths and weaknesses just like That's anything fair. else. That's definitely fair. What I'm hearing also is from somebody who really knows what they're doing behind the wheel, it's a far different experience than your average media person who takes it out for a spin and then tells you everybody that it's a complete piece of shit. So yeah. And I don't know, I, <laughs> I kind of uh, find that a lot in, in most media where, uh, and I guess you have to take it with a, a grain of salt. Like if you want to yeah. learn the, the true, you can't draw the conclusions of the, how a car handles on the street because cars are so fast these days that you're going to be nowhere near the limit, uh, on public roads on a Canyon. And, uh, if you are like, you're not in a one, you're being reckless, but two, you're not even in a good environment to exploit those characteristics in a small one lane road. If you just want somebody's opinion, driving a car on the street at lower speeds, just take it for what, what's that's worth. But it's difficult to draw overall conclusive opinions on, on the true character of a car on the street, unless you just want to evaluate how it is on the street. Right. Or if you just already have a preconceived idea and you just want validation. Well, that's kind of most things in life, right? <laughs> yep, yep. That's absolutely. Let's, uh, let's move to some Q and a real quick. Um, I've asked some people on Instagram to send some questions your way. And I have three here for you. So Catherine asks, what is your favorite vehicle to drive off the track? That's, that's tough. I, like I said, I love cars. I'd say the next car. Um, I get a lot of ADD from driving cars in the sense that I always look to improve it because that's kind of my job, whether you're racing a right. car and how to make it faster or development uh, and trying to make the car handle better, easier to drive and faster. If I just want to enjoy a car on the street. Um, well, a personal car. Yeah. If I just want to drive a car on the street, once I drive it enough, I get to the point where now I start to want to tinker and, and do things. So I kind of need to like separate cars because otherwise I just yeah, start, right. it starts to irritate me where this aspect I want to improve and just continuing to drive it, that eats me up. So if I jump in something new, it's a whole new experience. So <laughs> so it's the next car. Yeah, I'd say it's, it's the next car it's the because next car. otherwise I just get too caught up. But um, I don't know. I I do love my NSX. I uh, definitely am not going to be selling that. And that is just uh, such an amazing car. So if I have to give you a car, uh, I'd say my NSX. Nice. So Cars and Cosplay asks, what aspects of race driving carry over to daily driving? Um, not a whole lot. I'd say probably just uh, awareness. Um, yeah. Yeah. You, Defensive driving in a sense. Defensive is always like reactionary. So like, I like the term assertive driving a little bit better because by being assertive, you can prevent putting yourself in a bad situation. While if you're being defensive, you just kind of like hang out. And then as a crash starts to happen or you see somebody swerving and not paying attention, you react to that. Whereas being assertive, you recognize that earlier on and you don't even put yourself in that position. So assertive focused driving, that's what you want to do on a racetrack to go faster, to, to look at what traffic's like and to plan your moves to pass people and pass back markers. Same thing on the street, maybe selecting a, a better lane, not swerving through five lanes on the freeway, but if you're cruising in one lane and you look way ahead of you and, and you see it starts to back up and then the, the right lane is, is open, just making a single lane change and then just staying there and then reaping the benefits from that. Like those are small things that can help pay off and, uh, and also just being aware of your surroundings to avoid uh, a dog running out in the middle of the street. So it just, it, in general, it's, um, keeping your eyes up and, uh, and just scanning. Yeah. Being, being more aware. Yeah. yeah. And finally, Fury396 asks, what's your favorite car you've ever driven? And I think the answer to that is probably the, the Ferrari F40 or is it not? Yeah. The F40, was I don't know. Like I said, I just love cars, and uh, the F40 was always a, a poster car for most car enthusiasts growing up, and uh, it was super neat to drive that. NSX means a lot to me. 
and uh, it is just an iconic car in its own right. And then the the new Ford GT, that thing is just uh, unbelievable. And funny enough, it's also another mid-engine V6 like the NSX. And there's a lot that I wanted to do in my NSX that was done in the Ford GT. So like the anti-lag, the throttle mapping, the the turbos, obviously, and, and some of the, the different handling dynamics of the Ford GT, I kind of got to do with the Ford GT before I got to do it in my NSX. So <laughs> I do really love the, the Ford GT, which by itself is probably the most analog and uh, driver-focused car of any of its supercar peers. So... I don't know. Like, like I said, I, what do I uh, like driving? It's the next car. I just, I'd like learning about all these different cars, just what they do differently, their character. And uh, at the end of the day, I'm just a car guy. So tomorrow, tomorrow's Wednesday. So we're recording this on the 14th of April. You have an iRacing event? Yes. So I am doing where I would have already done by the time this airs, the iRacing um league event hosted by Roush Performance and I think Continental Tires sponsoring and, and supporting it as well. Uh, we have Greg Biffle in there, Ricky Stenhouse, Trevor Bain, uh, a lot of the, the guys that are raced against in the, the MC series from Andy Lally to a whole bunch of people. So uh, Matt Plum, who I've battled for championships for many, many years and many race wins. Yeah, it's going to be a, a blast. Uh, there's a lot of Shelby Blackstocks in there. Joey Atterbury, Jay Buford, Jack Roush Jr. himself. Um, yeah, some of those guys have been practicing a ton. Uh, my home simulator setup, I haven't really been on. So I've been Uh-oh. in Los Angeles jumping around uh, borrowing simulators. I was at, uh, I put out an ad on a Facebook group and ended up at some, uh, at some guy's house. Uh, who I've never really met before. He's a car guy, does track days, super cool, really nice guy. But uh, I was practicing on his simulator last week for one day. I'm hopping on another simulator today in anticipation for the race tomorrow. So I am not prepared. <laughs> so that's, that's I, I, uh, I would not be putting money on myself. And uh, But there's other really good drivers who suck equally as good. So it's going to be a, a fun event. <laughs> So where can people, I mean, can people go somewhere to actually watch this online? I think all these kinds of events are recorded. Like, I think you can go back and watch the the NASCAR races that those guys got in trouble for doing things and saying things on. And I would right. suspect uh, the, the race that I'm going to do will be live or it will be live, but I think it will be recorded where by the time this gets aired, you can go back and, uh, and find that and see how hilarious that, that race ends up being. So if you look for Roush performance, I racing, um, Roush performance, continental tire, I racing, you could probably find it that way. Billy, I want to thank you for joining the hard parking podcast. Billy just likes cars. <laughs> it was great to chat with you. Thanks, man. Take care. want to thank billy johnson for joining us check him out on his website billy johnson racing you can follow him on instagram at billy johnson and you can also check him out on the virtual e nascar i racing pro invitational series that he and a ton of other race car drivers from around the world not just nascar are participating during these times where we were just stay at home and major racing all racing is shut down everywhere really cool opportunity to kind of work your way up it's a simulator but it's about as realistic as you're going to get. I might check it out myself. I don't know. I got to catch up on a lot of my games. I'm a PC gamer. Anyway, check him out. But we want to thank him for joining the show. He's a really good guy. Really good guy. Coming up in future podcast episodes, we still need to talk to Jeb Lopez of Wheels Up, self-made blue-collar millionaire, delivering car parts. Joseph Gatt is going to join the show in a future episode. So Joe Gatt, you want to check him out. I'm really excited about that one. He's a professional actor, voice actor. He's been in God of War. He's been in Game of Thrones. He's been in Dumbo, Z Nation. So that's Joe Gatt and many more guests. 
Next episode, we're going to talk about The Last Dance, the Chicago Bulls documentary. That's all the rage. Everybody's going to be watching it. I've talked about that in a past podcast with my good friend, Victor. He's going to be on, and we are just going to be, we are just going to be sports geek raging over The Last Dance because we both grew up in that era. I lived and died on Michael Jordan and the Bulls, and I'm just so excited. I can't wait. So that's going to come up. So these podcasts are going to be dropping a lot more often during the last dance documentary by ESPN, 10 episodes, especially if we're all still stuck at home. Special thanks to Billy Johnson once again for coming by the show today. Can't forget our sponsors, dressupbowls.com, Top Mobile, higher quality detail at Tempe, Arizona, and Last Era brand, Motorsports Clothing. Special thanks to the Passion Hi-Fi. If you have any questions, feedback, topics, or want to be a guest on the show, please reach out to me on Instagram at NA2NSX or reach me on Twitter at hardparkingpod or shoot me an email, hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. I can't grow unless you tell people how great this show is. Let's do this. Let's grow this thing together. Just wanted to thank my sponsors one more time. Talkmobilenet.com, NSX channel, dress up bolts, last era brand, higher quality detail. Shut up!